sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I love your we love you we thank you for thy word I thank you for people with hungry hearts with a desire to know you and to know your word to love you and to love your word for Lord I am convinced that we cannot love you more than we love your word and we cannot know you more than we know your word and I ask that you will illuminate our understanding of your precious scripture in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And we are in Exodus part 11. Uh, last time we were together, we began our study of the tabernacle. And uh, we examined the tabernacle in general. We discussed how there are three separate uh, parts to the tabernacle. The outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. We discussed the measurements of the tabernacle and we showed the correlation of the dimensions of the tabernacle to Noah's Ark. Uh, we discussed that the three-part structure of the tabernacle correlates to the, to the true tabernacle that is not made by hands. Uh, it was a type of an actual real tabernacle which is the heavenlies. Amen? Amen. And uh, that's exciting. It's very exciting when you think about it. Uh, it's not made by hands, and uh, we showed that there are three heavens, at least three heavens, the sky above us, which is the first heaven, and the second heaven is what we call outer space, and we also saw that this is where I believe Satan and his kingdom has its headquarters. Uh, we talked about that using scripture. Uh, the third heaven is the holy of holies, where God dwells in the heavenlies and we also discussed how man is a tripart being we are one person but we possess a spirit a soul and a body and in this respect the outer court of the tabernacle as we uh, discussed represents our physical visible bodies and we also discussed that the light that it received was natural light from the sun and the moon. And the holy place represents our soul. And its only source of light was the lampstand. And the, our spirit is represented by the holy of holies. And the only light that is in the holy of holies is actually the presence of the Shekinah, the glory of God. And that's where God dwells. And we want to focus tonight on the way into the Holy of Holies, beginning from outside of the outer court. And we have to understand that salvation includes every aspect of the human being, spirit, soul, and body. God saved every part of you. He provided a provision for your spirit, your soul, and your body. Uh, Jesus was God who was born a total man. He was 100% man. And the mystery is that he was also 100% God. Uh, and he, and only God could do that, right? So he was body, soul, and spirit, and he paid the price of our salvation, our total being, body, soul, and spirit. As proof, I want to go through three uh, scriptures very quickly, and there are very many others like this in the Bible, but uh, Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, the Bible reads, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. 
this do in remembrance of me. In Isaiah chapter uh, 53 and verse 12, a prophecy of the Messiah, we find this, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poureth out his soul, his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus poured out his soul into death. Moreover, can anybody tell me where the soul resided in Jesus? The blood. The soul, the nephish is in the blood. The soul, nephish in the Hebrew, is in the blood. And when he poured out his blood, he poured out his soul. Uh, and then we find his spirit in Luke chapter 23 and verse 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my Spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus Christ paid the price for us, body, soul, and spirit. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not in my notes. But every aspect of you will be completely saved, completely delivered. The Lord saves us by coming into our spirit first. Did you know that? It's through the Holy Spirit that he gets a hold of us. I was an atheist, but when I came into the presence of God, my spirit began to reach out because it doesn't have a mind, it doesn't have a will, it doesn't have emotions, it's just that part of me that connects to the Holy Spirit. And then once God is in your spirit, he begins to deal with your mind, your will, your emotions, your soul, and he begins to... Uh, cleanse and sanctify that and finally one day and of course your body he does provide provision for your body that's one of the reasons why we're baptized for the body to for the remission of sins but the body is buried but one day we will have full deliverance where our bodies which will die unless the Lord comes uh, which will die which will be put into the ground will be resurrected and change from corruptible to incorruptible, from mortal to immortal, and it will put on a spiritual body. To say it plainly, you will be born again. Now you are born again. You have the earnest of your inheritance. But Jesus was born from the dead. And he was born originally flesh, and he was born from the dead, a life-giving spirit. And Jesus said, being flesh, you are flesh. Being spirit, you are spirit. And you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. One day, your mortal body will become a spiritual body. And that's what we're looking for. That's what Paul was looking forward to. Not so much heaven or a mansion, but to put off this old man. Aren't you tired of this old man? Yeah. Yeah, I'm tired of this old man. And not because he's old, but because he's evil and wicked. And it's like I'm carrying decaying death around me everywhere I go. Because that's exactly what I'm doing. But one day, death is going to put on life. And flesh is going to put on spirit. And incorruptibility is going to put on incorruptibility. Isn't that wonderful? And you will be born from the dead. Just as our head, Jesus Christ, was born from the dead, a life-giving spirit. And that is what we're actually looking forward to. So we begin our journey into the Holy of Holies from outside the outer court. We will ascribe uh, to the tabernacle as we go various meanings and types. And I do not want to imply that these are the only acceptable types and meanings. The beauty of the tabernacle is that God uh, has given us a pattern of so many types and shadows throughout the Word of God. And you will be able, once you understand the pattern of the tabernacle, which is the pattern of the human being, which is the pattern of the nature of God Himself, which is the pattern of the heavenlies, that you'll see it as a pattern in so many things in Scripture. You even see it with the apostles. Okay, there were disciples who were in the courtyard. Then there were uh, many apostles who were closer to God. And they were in the holy place. But John was in the holy of holies. You see, there's always this pattern that you will be able to find and follow. But I don't want you to think 
that what I'm teaching tonight is the only meaning and the only type and shadow of the tabernacle. But I am going to say what I see, and then as you continue in the study of the Word of God, you will start to see other patterns in the Bible that fit the pattern of the tabernacle, which is why we're spending so much time on this. This is the most important structure in the Bible. Most important structure probably ever up on planet Earth, except the cross, which I don't consider a a structure. Um, And the tabernacle was built, or the the temple was built after the pattern of the tabernacle. So it is this pattern that is the important pattern. And as we uh, come to the tabernacle, as we approach, there is the outer fence. And the outer fence with linen curtains represents outward righteous living. Revelation chapter 19, speaking of the church, in verse 8, says, She has been permitted to dress in fine linen, dazzling white and clean. For the fine linen signifies the righteous acts of the saints. So this represents the righteousness uh, of this tabernacle, which in this case is the church. And it could be the saint. It could also be the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do you see that the pattern of the tabernacle fits all of these things? The church, the saint, Jesus Christ himself. There are three entrances to the tabernacle. And they are three successive entrances going from... uh, You have to forgive me. I have a little dental issue going on on the left side. So I might slur my speech a little bit. I'm not drunk as you... I'm not drunk as you suppose... (laughs) <laughs> but there, these represent Jesus, the way, the truth, the life. So the way into the tabernacle, the first, uh, what we would call the gate, it's actually a curtain that leads from the outside to the outer court, is Jesus, the way. And there is only one way in. There's not a side door and there's not a back door. You're only going through the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So to get to the Holy of Holies, you have to go through the way. You have to go through the door. And there's only one way. There's only one door. At the entrance to the courtyard, there are four pillars. And I want to call these four pillars the four Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Why? Well, there are also four cherubim. And I take this view because also the pattern of the camp of Israel that is around the tabernacle. Now, the pattern of the camp was also ordered by the Lord. And when God orders something, he has a reason for it. On the east side of the camp of Israel, which surrounded the tabernacle, uh, the chief tribe was the tribe of Judah. And the banner of the tribe of Judah was a lion. On the north side, the chief tribe was Dan, and the banner of Dan was the eagle. And each tribe would camp with its banner. On the west side, the chief tribe was Ephraim, and that banner was the ox. And to the south of the tabernacle, the chief tribe was the tribe of Reuben, and that banner was a man. And I tell you that this is not accidental. We have the lion, we have the eagle, we have the ox, and we have the man. Well, in Ezekiel chapter 1, in verse 10, we have a depiction of the four cherubim. In verse 10, it reads, regarding the form, and I'm reading out of the Amplified. Uh, Regarding the form and appearance of their faces, they each had the face of a man in front, and each had the face of a lion on the right side, and the face of an ox on the left side, All four also had the face of an eagle at the back of their heads. So the banners of these four chief tribes match the faces of the cherubim. Think that's that's by accident? So I want to call this the four gospels. 
There are four gospels. There are four pillars at the entrance, and that's the way into the tabernacle. Now, why would I call them the four gospels? Have you ever wondered why there are four gospels? It seems strange that the Lord would use four separate gospels to tell one story. It seems a logical thing to do is to tell the whole story in one gospel, right? That only makes sense, except that's not what he chose to do. And when you look closely at the Gospels, they start to reveal an interesting pattern. They each depict Jesus Christ, but in a remarkably different way. The book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, depicts Jesus as the one who has the lineage of the king of Israel. He is the son of David, of the tribe of Judah, the rightful king of Israel. And it's important to realize that Jesus did not simply claim the throne of the king of Israel, but he was the king of Israel by birthright. He was born to be the king of Israel. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Matthew is the lion. Mark depicts Jesus as a servant doing the work of the one who sent him. He is the ox. He doesn't have a genealogy. Servants don't need genealogies. And he is the ox, which represents service. Luke traces the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way to the first man, Adam, and depicts his humanity, that Jesus is a man. He is the son of Adam. And we have Luke who is represented by the man. John begins at another genealogy of Jesus Christ, which happened before creation. And he declared that Jesus was God and in the beginning with God. He is the creator whose going forth is of old from everlasting. So the Gospel of John shows Jesus the eagle, the deity, the son of God. So we have here a pattern, don't we? Outside the camp, we have the banners. Or in the camp, we have the banners outside the tabernacle. And then at the gate of the tabernacle to enter, we have these four pillars. And I believe those are the four Gospels uh, that bring us into Jesus Christ. As we discuss, the outer court represents the body. It also relates to the life of Christ in the days of his flesh. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 reads, Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. In other words, what's happening here on the outside of the tabernacle is what Jesus did in his humanity while on earth. The brazen altar that we come to, that we talked about last week, represents the cross, and it provided the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.26 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here at the altar, the cross, the old nature was crucified. And uh, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6 verse 6 knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. And the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, upon this altar was what we had, we call the whole burnt offering. They would bring the sacrifice, and it was burnt wholly upon the altar. It was a sacrifice, and Jesus is that sacrifice. That brazen altar represents the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And all of the Old Testament, the Levitical sacrifices are fulfilled by Jesus Christ on the cross. But, see, we're following a pattern here. Jesus is who we follow. He said, if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In other words, you're going to go through the same path 
that Jesus took. Where's Jesus now? He's in the Holy of Holies. Well, we want to get to the Holy of Holies. Now, there's a way to get into the Holy of Holies here in the Spirit. And we can enter in here while we're here. But finally, one day, we will be in the Holy of Holies with Him. And we shall be like Him. We will see Him as He is. But right now, we need to lay ourselves down. We need to come to the cross. We need to go to the brazen altar. Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul wrote, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. I'm glad he put that word living in there. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So we're living. We're not going to be on a burned offering. We're not going to nail ourselves to a cross but we are dedicated as if we would. We love not our lives unto death. And there are Christians in this world today who will suffer martyrdom. And they will love their lives. Not, uh, I mean, they will love not their lives unto death. And they will pick up that cross and they will follow him if need be. And we need to have that attitude. Yes. That though you slay me, I'm going to serve you, Lord. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are God's. I do not own myself. You do not own yourself. I was bought many years ago on an auction block of sin. That's right. And I was worthy of death. But someone saw me and said, I want you for my own. And he paid the ultimate price. Amen. Amen. The brazen labor comes after the altar, as we discussed the last time we were together. And the brazen labor is for washing, cleansing. Now, I believe this represents baptism. After repentance, which is what the altar is. You see, when you come to that brazen altar and you lay yourself down for the first time or the hundredth time. And believe me, you should be going to that altar before you ever try to enter into his presence. The first thing we do when we are going in to be in the presence of the Lord should be, Lord, search my heart. Make sure I'm committed to you. I repent of anything that I have done. And then cleanse me, O Lord. We do not ever want to come into the presence of the Lord with sin. He's still the Lord. Amen. There's grace, but he's still the Lord. And... I believe that this labor represents washing and cleansing. After repentance, one should be baptized in water for the remission of sins. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 reads, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. So the priest had to wash in the labor before they could enter into the holy place, which brings us now to the holy place. The second entrance, I am the way, I am the truth. The second entrance is the truth. It is a curtain that leads to the holy place. And I believe it represents Jesus, the truth. Now, here we have five pillars. And I, like I said, I, I'm, you don't have to say, well, by the way, this is it. Brother Taylor said it the other night. They're, these pillars can't represent anything else. This is what they represent. Well, that's not true. But tonight, they represent... The five main ministries that are in the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are found in Ephesians chapter 4. And the fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for ministry, to edify and produce mature Christians who are unified in faith and the knowledge of God, in short, to perfect the church. God has put ministers in the church to perfect the church and to make the church more like Jesus. Not like 
what, you know, just what we want you to be. I like what the pastor said yesterday. I, I, have a, I had a vision for the church of what I thought the church should be. And the Lord says, well, I've got a vision for the church. And that's what's going to last. Right? When we're in His image and if He builds the house, the Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Who built it? And that's the truth. Amen. And so God has put this fivefold ministry into the church. Jesus was the perfect example of the entire fivefold ministry. He was an apostle. He was a prophet. He was an evangelist. He was a shepherd. And a, he was a teacher. And there are two other roles that he fills. There might actually be more than that, but there are at least two other roles filled uh, by Jesus Christ, and that is the role of the high priest and the role of the king. So the holy place represents to the believer the soul, the will, the mind, or the intellect, and the emotions. Now, I, once again, I don't want you to think that this is all that it represents. I mean, we will get into this a little bit, but obviously everything in the tabernacle represents Jesus Christ. And I'm, the lampstand is, the fire of the lampstand is Jesus Christ. The oil is the Holy Spirit. I believe the lampstand represents the church. It shines its light on the shoe bread, which is Jesus Christ, the bread. Okay, and I believe that he is the high priest who stands before the golden altar and he makes supplication and prayers for us. But it also represents the soul of a man. And I'm talking about our way into the holy of holies. So first we repent, we cleanse ourselves. And church, this is every time. We don't just come to God, repent, be baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and sit on a pew, and it's all over. We just wait for the Lord to come and take us. This is a daily thing. Amen. The tabernacle, the work of the tabernacle was done daily. The priest, which we are priests, came to the tabernacle daily. The sacrifices were offered daily. Now we only have one sacrifice. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He took care of that. But we still need to cleanse ourselves daily. We need to enter into the, the holy place daily. And can I say we should enter into the presence of the Lord, the holy of holies, every day. Amen. Amen. So this represents the soul, the holy place, the will, the mind, the intellect, and the emotions. Um, and as we leave the outer court, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ in the holy place and the holy of holies relates to what he does for us now. He is still ministering. He is still in a place of service. Uh, after his death and resurrection, he's no longer working after the flesh, but now he is our high priest and he is our king. Right now... In the spiritual, the true tabernacle, which is in heaven. And here we find that the metal used in the holy place and the holy of holies is now gold. It's not brass. It's heavenly. And the three uh, pieces of furniture in the holy of holies, like I said, they do represent Jesus Christ. Uh, he is our sacrifice. He's the brazen altar. He's the laver of water for cleansing. He's the entrance. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the light of the lampstand. He, he, is the, he is all of these things. He's the light of the church. And he's the bread of the table of shoe bread. He's all of these things. But like I said, we're talking now about the soul of man. And these items also represent our soul, the mind, the will, the emotion. So let's look at the table of shoe bread. And the sh sh table of shoe bread represents the will. Jesus set the pattern for the will. In Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, the writer of Hebrews wrote, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body. This is my body broken for you. That's what he said about the bread, isn't it? You have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Jesus' body 
was prepared that he might do God's will. And our body is made to do God's will. And by yielding our body, we discover God's will. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's talking about the soul here. When he's talking about the mind, he's talking about the will, that we, we give this to God as a, and our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we see in John chapter 4, 32 to 34, that doing the will of the Father was the bread of Jesus Christ. It was his nourishment. It's what he lived for. Is it what we live for? Amen. Amen. And it is. And John uh, wrote, but he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said one to another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? See, they were thinking about his body, weren't they? He didn't have any food for his body, so what did he eat? But see, Jesus wasn't talking about the food for his body. He was talking about the food for his soul. And you know, there's a food for your soul that you must have. And, well, we Americans, we're not starving people. And yet we are in an absolute famine. An absolute famine of the Word of God and doing the will of God. Amen. He said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish his work. That was Jesus' food. So our wills must be like the shoe bread, which is the body of Christ. And our wills must be like the shoe bread. It must be made from ground flour. You can't just make bread from wheat. You have to grind it up, don't you? Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground. And said, you know, Unless you fall on this rock and be broken, or the rock will fall on you and grind you. He's talking about grinding flour. Which means that our will is to be totally yielded to God. And then the flour is molded into form. And our wills must be conformed to God. God put a five-fold ministry in the church. He gave you the Spirit of God to help form you into what God's will is for you. Then the bread is baked. We are tested in an oven. Have you ever felt like, man, I'm in an oven. I'm in a furnace. Yeah. I mean, I want out. But see, you can't get out before time. That's right. Then everything will fall and you'll come out this ugly, contorted thing that they sell for 99 cents just to get rid of it. But we are tested in, a, in an oven. Many of us are in an oven right now and it is not pleasant. But we have to choose to remain there until his process is complete in us. See, it's not my will, but it's thy will. The shoe bread was covered by frankincense and frankincense is a type of worship. The shoe bread was regularly rededicated to God. Every week they had to replace the shoe bread. They'd replace the shoe bread. And we have to regularly say, Lord, it's not my will, but it's your will. I'm not living for myself. I'm living for you. And then we have the lampstand. And the lampstand in the holy place is a seven-branch lampstand. And this represents, in this case, the mind or the intellect. It was made of beaten gold. And I want to say that this suggests the cultivation of the intellect by discipline, by study of the submission to God's Word. I used to love to preach when I was a young guy and I had a big ego. <laughs> and I'd get up and I'd preach about the, the Word of God. You know, preach the Word. One of the things I loved to do was to 
just get up there and act like all the preachers did, tell a little joke, and then finally get serious and say, now turn with me to the book of, or turn with me to the prophets, the book of Hezekiah, chapter 4. And then I just watch everybody like I'm watching everybody right now. And I'd watch people, pastors, start to flip through their pages. And I'd find people, you know, about half of them would find it. And that was the funniest thing. Oh, I found the book of Hezekiah chapter 4. We're ready when you are. (laughs) But there is no book of Hezekiah chapter 4. So then I would preach about study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I don't do that anymore. I find that embarrassing to the people of God, and I'm not here to embarrass them. But if I had, how many people would have turned there? So we have to study. We have to have a discipline in the things of God. We have to have a daily ritual. In fact, we, we kind of need to be religious about it. Mm-hmm. Brother Hassan's clapping in the back. And I, I don't, I, I don't, I want to be careful about what I say because I'm not here to lift myself up and I'm certainly not to be lifted up. I went many years without studying. But I have a ritual and every day I get up, I jump in my car. See, we're modern day people, man. I don't like go into some kind of cave with a little lamp and get the get out a big scroll and begin to study for hours. That's not what I do. I jump in my car, I turn on the Bible, and I listen to the Bible until I can't pay attention anymore. When I keep having to read wine and I can't pay attention, or I get to where I'm going. So then, I start studying, I read a chapter of the Bible in Hebrew. And then I start studying Hebrew, regular modern Hebrew. And then I start a Bible study that usually I have one set up and I'm going to go through this entire Bible study and then after that I will find a Bible study that just is of interest. And and then after that I can go on TikTok. And after that I can do whatever I want until nighttime. (laughs) Until nighttime. And then at nighttime I read a chapter of Hebrew. And I do this five days a week. I do not do it Sunday or Monday. But that is my habit. And by doing that I can now read the Bible in Hebrew. I couldn't read the Bible in Hebrew when I first started, but after about three months, it all started to make sense to me. And then after about six months, it really started. You see, just that habit of hitting it every day. I urge you, do it. The Jewish young men, that's all they do. All they do is study the, 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 the religious Jews all day long. You go to a yeshiva and they study and study and study and study and study. They will, out, they will beat almost anyone this, in this room when it comes to any kind of Old Testament scripture. But see, we have Jesus. We should be at least that dedicated in my mind. Amen. And I know that it's difficult. It, life is busy. But, and I've told this to Brother Pepe. Turn your Bible on. If you go to work 30 minutes away, listen to the Bible for 30 minutes. On the way back, listen to the Bible. You'll have read the Bible about three times a year. That's it. Just by going to work. Amen. Let's carry on. So, the Psalms 119, 130. uh, The entrance of your words gives light. The tabernacle was lit. The holy place was lit by the lampstand. It gives understanding to the simple. And understanding is compared to light. And it comes by God's word we need to learn the word of god don't take it personal but it's true you only love god as much as you love his word and you only know god as much as you know his word and i'm not talking just about head knowledge the word needs to be read with the spirit of god you could have the bible memorized and not understand it but allow the lord to teach you the word with the Spirit and the Word together. I'm I'm going to skip this part, but I want you to remember the seven forms of the Holy Spirit that rested upon Jesus all the way back in our lesson of Noah, that there are seven spirits of God that are represented here in the lampstand. But we now come to the golden altar of incense, and this represents our emotions. Uh, The altar had the following features. It was a four-square altar. It was balanced. Anybody here balanced? Anybody here normal? 
you're a normal person emotionally everything's you're like the perfect example I'm not I've, I've come to this realization because I used to think I was right and everybody else was wrong but what I found out is no I'm I'm imbalanced and so is everybody else and when we come together as a church we balance each other out right I mean I'm one guy where it's like if the Bible said it the Bible said it by God you know let's just go ahead and you know and, and somebody else will calm me down and say hey wait a minute <laughs> the Bible does say that but you need to look at this over here and it's like you know what you're right and uh, God has given us people for that that's why we're together in a church we're all imbalanced people balancing each other out and that's really the truth that's why we absolutely need each other if you do this on your own you will become imbalanced and you will fall into false doctrine and deception we need each other but it, this was a four square altar it was balanced not given to excess in any one direction and the protective crown upon it represents self-control the fire represents intensity purity the passion if you will of the soul and the incense represents devotion made fragrant fragrant by the fire the smoke is adoration its praise and its worship and the horns of this altar were sanctified by blood your emotions need to be made holy by God you give that part to him just like you give him your intellect and your will. It is made holy. And this altar is before the transition from the holy place to the holy of holies. And this transition represents a transition from our souls to our spirits. So I want to make sure you're following me here. Think of the tabernacle as a human being. The outer court is the body, but we are also soul and spirit. The holy place is our soul with the mind, the will, and the emotion. So what is the holy place? The holy of holies. See, there's a holy place and then there's a holy of holies. It's also called the most holy place. And in there is the ark and the mercy seat and the presence of God. And the third entrance which takes us to the Holy of Holies and separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place is the veil. And it, represent, it represents Jesus, the life. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Look what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the Holy of Holies. By the blood of Jesus, and we're going to talk about that when we get to the sacrifices. Jesus fulfilled that perfectly. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. That is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water so the writer of the book of hebrews is referencing the entrance into the holy place from the outer court through the washing of the water the shedding of the blood and the rent veil is the torn flesh of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 27 and verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold the veil of the temple. Now the temple is the tabernacle. It's just been made into a house now. Was torn into from top to bottom. And the earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now there were four pillars here that separated the holy place and the holy of holies. And I'm going to say that they represent Jesus in four aspects found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. They are wisdom, righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
And here, in the Holy of Holies, is where we find two heavenly ministries of the Lord Jesus, which are after the order of Melchizedek. Remember him all the way back in Genesis. Jesus was the perfect example of the fivefold ministry. He is now the high priest and the king. And remember, we are a kingdom of priests. He is the great king. He is the high priest, which is the priest of priests. And he's the great king, which is the king of kings. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Mel. Now, under the law of Moses, a priest could not be a king, nor could a king be a priest. But Jesus is the high priest after Melchizedek, not after the sons of Aaron, the Levitical priesthood. Now, you're going to learn something I don't think most of you have ever heard before, but if you're like me, it's going to make you jump out of your seats. Are you ready? Yes. Zechariah chapter 6, 9 through 13. And there's a very interesting verse found in this chapter of Zechariah, especially in the Hebrew. And we're going to read it very quickly. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives from Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have come from Babylon, and go the same day unto the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, a royal diadem, is what he's saying, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. It's Joshua who is the high priest here, not Jehozadak. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man. I want you to hear this. Behold the man whose name is the branch. Now, if the man's name is the branch, can I say that the branch is, has the same name as the man? Is that fair? Yeah. Is it, right? I mean, this works right both ways. Behold, the man whose name is the branch. That means the branch's name is the name of the man. The man's name is Joshua. From his place, he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. A high priest sitting and ruling on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now, the high priest's name was Joshua, and he never sat on a throne. He never ruled as a king. In fact, it was against the law for him to do that because he was a son of Aaron. Could not rule as a king, and he didn't. But he was being used by Zechariah as a type, a foreshadowing of a high priest who would rule as king. Now, we're not going to look at it, but if you want to read Zechariah chapter 3, you'll find the same Joshua being used once again to prophesy the coming of this one called the branch. Now, let's properly divide the scripture, shall we? First of all, the name of the high priest here is Joshua. In Hebrew, it's Yahushua, which is the Hebrew name of Jesus. We also say Yeshua, but they're identical names, Yahushua. The, uh, the English translation of the Septuagint, which is a translation of the ancient Hebrew text into Greek about 200 years before Jesus was born, if you look at the English translation, it doesn't say Joshua, it says Jesus, because his name is Jesus. The name of the man is the name of the branch. So if the name of the branch is the name of the man, the name of the branch is? Jesus. Jesus. And the Lord told Zechariah, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Behold the man. Isn't that what Pilate said when he came before him? Behold the man whose name is the branch. Who is the prophesied branch, Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, and I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king 
shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. The branch would be a king. And Zechariah said the high priest, Yahashua, Jesus, whose name is the branch, would reign as a king. A high priest who is also a king. Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. Jesus is the branch. He is the high priest. He is the king. And God gave Zechariah his name more than 500 years before he was born. Now the representation of the king and the high priest is in the holy of holies. The mercy seat is the throne of God between the cherubim. That's where God dwells. And only the high priest could serve as priest in the holy of holies. The holy of holies represents the spirit of man. And here is where we worship and we worship Him alone. You don't go with me into the Holy of Holies. You can come with me into the courtyard. You can come with me and we can, we can minister together in the holy place. But when I go through that veil, it's me and God. It's you and God. I can't give you the Holy Ghost, but I can baptize you. You understand? But only God can fill you with His holy, holy presence. And here, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. This entire thing is the fulfillment of Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent, the brazen altar. Be baptized, the labor. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the Holy of Holies. And it's not enough to follow Acts 2.38, and I'm closing now, to sit on a pew. The tabernacle was a continuous work. Every Day, daily fellowship, daily dedication. Paul said, I die daily. I drag my old carcass to the altar and I lay it up on there. A sacrifice. We should repent and cleanse ourselves, enter into the holy place, minister there to the Lord, learn His word, feast upon the bread of life, offer prayers and praise and submit our will, our intellect, our emotions to Him and then step through the veil into that holy of holies daily. Lord, we love you. We thank you for thy word. We thank you for everything that you are and everything that you are doing. Raise up a mighty army. Raise up a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood of priests and kings. For you are our high priest and you are our king of kings. And we worship you and we thank you for all that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart.